Welcome to the Reflect On podcast, where we embark on inspiring conversations filled with truth, vulnerability, and, well, anything else that'll help us learn, grow, and live better lives. I'm your host, Kevin P. Murphy. Thank you so much for embarking on this reflection journey with me today. Now let's get right into it. This episode is a reflection with Craig O'Neill. Craig is currently the CEO of iWave, an organization that empowers nonprofits to engage in deeper philanthropic pursuits in order to create a greater societal impact, amongst several other things. He is a loving family member, an expert in the fintech space, and a fantastic member of his community. Interestingly, we learned that as Craig grew up, he substituted the life of a career musician for that of a business entrepreneur. In fact, he says it's one of the best decisions he's made in his life. We also reflect on how one of Craig's childhood qualities that he actually disliked the most was one that rewarded him the most in the end. We then discuss what the most powerful business to life skills really are, what leadership really is, and what wealth is beyond just the financial side of it. This leads us to a great conversation about how generosity is one of the most important things we can consider to move forward in our lives, which really ties in with our relationship with money and how emotionally powerful it can be. This episode is an impactful and heartfelt one. So thank you, as always, for spending time with us today and enjoy this episode with Craig O'Neill. So thank you so much, Craig O'Neill, for being here, for allowing me here. (laughs) I thought of you actually when I was starting this passion project as one of the first people, frankly. And one of the reasons why is because I find you as such a driver of a person Mm -hmm. and what you do. And when a lot of us think of those things, we think about work. And I do find you as a, from afar and from outside as, as obviously a passionate individual that way. But I also think with family and community, mm-hmm. um, even more yeah. perhaps. And I want to spend a lot of time today understanding more about that with you, what drives you, but I want to challenge you with a question first. I want you to reflect back over the last years of your life and say, tell me what you think your two to three or even one, if it's one profound one, biggest failure that oh. you have in your life? Wow, that's a good question. Yeah, so that's actually pretty easy. So when I think about achievements and you know marking off things on my to-do list and achieving goals at work and that sort of thing, it's been a, it's been a, you know, I'm thankful, it's been a pretty successful few years, pretty successful career. But when I look back on what I could get better at, it's the people side of things. And I should explain that I, I care about people, but when it comes to um, just my personality style, when I start to get focused on tasks, I can get quite task driven and get, you know, caring, but short with people. And I don't mean short in terms of like abrupt or nasty or anything, but just not enough time spent on, on people and encouraging people and caring for people. So one of my goals in life is to make sure that whatever I'm doing, whether it's family or work, that I'm having a positive impact on the people around me. And I could do more of that if I put more priority, spent more time just verbalizing my care for people and spending time with people. So that's probably the thing that I would, I, and I am working on. I think about working on, I am working on. And it's life's a journey, right? You're always learning and growing. So that's, that's an area that is probably top of my list. Wow. Oh, that's powerful. The, I wonder, it, it goes against something, especially in the history of what, which we can maybe talk about in a little bit, but the history of your background, specifically with work, 
what you just mm-hmm. said, in my opinion, goes against a lot of the traditional hustle and grind culture, mm-hmm. so to speak, in the sense of the more hours you put into something, the more output you're going to get. Do you believe in that still? Or how has your belief in that evolved throughout your career with work, family, and community and everything in life? Yeah, I, I do think you have to put hours in to whether it's work or, you know, if it's a, if you're a tennis player and you want to be good at tennis or what have you. I remember I came to believe that a long, long time ago. And then I read um, uh, one of the books by Malcolm Gladwell and he, he cited a study that said to get good at something, like really proficient at something, you had to invest 10,000 hours in it. Of course. And 10,000 hours is a lot of hours. It's a lot of time. So... You know, I've always believed if you're going to do anything, you should do it well. You should try and do it well. Um, you should invest yourself in it. Um, and that does mean time. But I think the the motivation for spending that time is important, right? You know, is it is the motivation I'm going to spend a ton of time because I want to be good at this thing and I want to make a lot of money and I want, to, I want these sort of, I guess you could call them kind of selfish, ambitious sort of goals if that's your driver. Or is it a little bit more holistic than that is I'm, I'm going to invest time because I want what I do to be meaningful. You know, I want it to be, um, if I'm working at a company, I want to have a positive impact on the company. If I'm working with people, if it's in my family, I want to have a positive impact with my family. In some ways it's kind of stepping back and thinking about on a, on a bigger scale, kind of what kind of legacy do I want to have? What kind of impact do I want to have on those around me? And I think if that's your motivation, it takes time and energy and effort, but it turns into positive and fulfilling things versus chase, chasing stuff, working hard and driving to get sort of purely sort of selfish type objectives, I think end up being kind of hollow and, and just not nearly as meaningful. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I think it's a, it's a, it's such a fine line between bordering into the selfish motivations at first and bouncing back to the what's seemingly selfish versus selfless. And a lot of even what we're doing right now is that introspective piece that you have to, it seems like you have to do. Tell me a little bit about how that journey went for you, maybe even earlier, call it 20, 30 years ago, um, earlier parts of your career, things like that. And how that skill particularly, that ability to look inward has maybe evolved for you and how important it's been for you. Yeah, that's a very good question, Kevin. So I think um, something about my background that I look, I look back on, and at the time I didn't like it, but now I'm thankful for, is I was a I, I'm an introverted personality style. First of all, today, I mean, you don't your personality style doesn't really change per se. So I've always been introverted. But when I was a kid, I was shy. Like I was just straight out shy. It really? was, yeah. I don't remember this, but you know, my my mom told me when I was old enough to remember that when I was little, little, and we had guests over, I would be the kid that would sort of stand behind her leg and was so just from my wow. youngest days, I was really shy. And through my school years, um, that shyness lasted probably until kind of middle of middle school. So like grade eight or nine, I started to grade seven or eight, I started to grow out of that. Mm. Um, still introverted, but grow to the shyness. But through those early years, the reason I'm thankful for the shyness is it does, I mean, it, in some ways, shyness is a bit selfish. You're a little bit too inward focused. You're worried about what people think and so on. And of course, as a little kid, you don't verbalize that, but that's kind of what's going on. But it does, in some ways, I think for me, it trained me to be aware of myself and impact I was having on others and uh, be a little bit more introspective. And I've always actually been really thankful for that introspective part of me. Um, 
you, you want to keep it in balance. You don't want to be too worried, and, but you also don't want to be completely not self-aware. I was working with someone recently um, at work and uh, a person who's, I'd say they're in their early 30s, and I was at a conference. I ended up traveling back with them, um, and I just realized, wow, this person just is not at all self-aware. For whatever reason, whatever his personality style is and whatnot, he just right. was not at all self-aware. Um, so by by kind of growing up shy, I think I learned to be self-aware, maybe too much at first, but then it got in balance. Um, so it started fairly early, always kind of thinking about what's important, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, and even after, like if I would you know, get angry with someone or speak in a way that wasn't kind or what have you, I would automatically kind of ask myself afterwards, why did I do that? Like what, what was in me that caused me to act that way? Because I'm not proud of myself for doing that. And that was helpful. It caused like kind of this lifelong journey of sort of growing and polishing off rough edges and working on things that I wasn't naturally good at. Yeah, and it seems like even there's a fine line in what you just mentioned at the end there too, which is the introspection has to be also done in a methodical way or a logical mm. way too, right? There can yeah. be too much or too little. Uh, that you can be too hard on yourself sometimes as well. Uh, speaking in general, I mean, of course, yeah. but yeah. Um, I've found absolutely a lot of the same experience that it's good to post-evaluate and reflect on things, but at the same time, how do you do that in the best interest of serving yourself and those around you at the same time, yeah. right? To become a better person, to leave a better legacy, to help people as much as you can, including yourself all around you. We talked, I asked you first about failures and I want to flip gears to what you define as success, but I'm going to again, challenge you with the question a little bit, Craig, because okay. I know you're intelligent enough to answer this. <laughs> what do you feel are the two to three biggest successes in your life without mentioning family they're not allowed to uh, talk about family <laughs> so two to three biggest successes right okay not say. not bringing up family makes it harder for because sure. i know that's probably one of your answers <laughs> so that's why i'm trying to challenge it. yeah okay so uh, aside from family what would be considered success successes so i guess early on early days when i was in university i joined uh, a band i ended up so i was in a i was in a computer science program at school so kind of on a track to go into software. And then I play guitar and I joined this band and um, ended up when we were in third year, got offered a record contract and had to decide between making wow. music my career or our career as a band or staying on the track that I was on. I think wisely chose to, to um, stay on the track I was on. But that, that era, that time with that band, I look back and feel like that was a success. We made some it was our all original stuff. So we made some, some music that we, we were kind of proud of, not in an unhealthy way, but we thought it was good. It was well-crafted people that heard it, liked it. We were quite popular kind of in the Toronto area, but it was a band with a really positive message. So we're trying to encourage people to be positive and care about each other and so on. So that era feels like a success. We learned a lot. I think we accomplished a lot of good. We sort of spread that positive message quite a lot. That would be a, a success. And then, you know, really thankful to say I've had sort of a series of successes sort of in the business world. It's kind of funny because I grew up with a dad who was an entrepreneur and had a couple of businesses. He went through um, some of the really tough economic times back in the 70s, 80s, and went through this roller coaster ride of, you know, taking on debt to vendors personally and working that off and some real difficult things. And I said to myself, I will never, ever do that. I'm going to get a good job. A stable job and you know 
have uh, you know my focus outside of work, but the work thing is just going to be something that's stable. Um, and then seven years into my career, I got the bug to, it was just in my DNA, I guess, got the bug to start a company. So thankfully I've had a, a, a few different companies that I've been involved in starting and they've been really successful and culminated in successful exits that have you know, been acquired by a strategic acquirer or an investor financial acquirer. But then part of my definition of success in those ventures was that the people that were involved stayed on and they had good careers after that. And the the products continued to thrive and the customers continued to thrive. So the I've legacy, had a few of those. The legacy, so to speak. Yeah. Manager, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. It wasn't about getting to a point and selling and making some money and then moving on. It was you certainly getting to a point. The investors were expecting a sale at some point to get a return and so on. So that was part of the success. Sure. But much more than that, it was what did it mean for the employees and the customers and the new owners as well. So those have been successes that I'm, I'm really yeah. pleased with. I'm glad that you mentioned sort of the business career side at the end there because I want to parallel on that or focus a little bit more on that a little bit as well. And to your point, uh, my knowledge of your background, so please correct me if I'm wrong in this, is you founded and, and created that entrepreneurial bug, so to speak, when it hit you. You've yeah. done a few companies and and parted with them in, in good ways. So very entrepreneurial at, at, at the get-go sort of in the, in the work environment. What would you say are some of the biggest things that you've learned in being a founder or being an entrepreneur or being a business leader in that way? What are two or three of the biggest qualities that translate for you outside of just the business world that you can bring into everyday life? Yeah. Um, So the first one really is first and foremost, probably by far is leadership, building a a business or a sports team or growing your family. It's about working with people and we have different roles inside of a group, but obviously as a founder, your, your role is to, you know, be the leader and kind of visionary. And so being able to understand people, understand how to communicate with people, of course, having a vision for where you want to go is important, but being able to communicate that vision and share it in a way that others want to follow you. I remember reading a quote years ago, if you think you're a leader, but there's no one following you, then you're not really a leader. So just the, the title of the label doesn't make you a leader. So that, that ability to lead in a way that is not kind of the dictatorial or that you mandate and people better follow because they're afraid the leadership that is, um, you know, set a direction and a vision and, and people follow it because they're excited about it and passionate about it. They understand kind of where we're going and why and how that makes a difference again, comes back to if your motivation and things is to make a difference and have a positive impact, people tend to rally around that and get passionate and excited about it and feel good about it. So to me, that's the first and foremost thing is being able to do that. That actually takes, you know, inside of that, a bunch of skills to do that well, but that would be number one for sure. Um, another one, I mean, there's a whole bunch, but, uh, after that, these are in no particular order having, kind of guts and being able to take risks and being able to compartmentalize, just be able to handle the pressure without kind of losing it is really important because there's pressure and there's things don't, the best laid plans, right? They don't go the way you think. People don't always do what they say they'll do. Stuff goes wrong. You get, you know, surprises that cause a lot of stress and pressure. You need to be able to handle those things without kind of going over the edge. At the same time, you need patience. Like you need to often realize 
it's not going to work exactly in my timeline or people won't work exactly to my timeline. So you need to be the right amount of patient. And maybe the last thing I'd throw in is, and this maybe comes back to handling pressure as well. I've always kind of had this view like where even if you're the founder and CEO of a company and you're held ultimately responsible for everything, we're actually individually we're control, in control of very little, right? We, right. we work with other people, do the very best we can do, but don't expect things are going to go exactly the way you want because we're really not in control. I, I can't tell someone to do something and know they'll do it exactly. I can't even communicate clearly enough that they know exactly what I want. So I, I kind of call that hold things loosely. Like I don't get too um, caught up in being a leader. I, I sort of balance it with, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leading, but this is a, it's a team effort and these individuals are going to have their perspectives and so on. So try and hold everything loosely. Like a lot of things we've already talked about, it's a dance, right? Thinking yeah. an absolution yeah. can maybe be the most dangerous thing on one end of the spectrum or the other potentially, mm-hmm. right? Trying to, for you, in your example, be pure leader mindset. Maybe you end up bleeding into that dictatorship without even knowing it, right? As yeah. an example, if that's not what you originally wanted, it seems like, yeah, all of those very translatable to life, frankly, as well. And not surprising it's off the heels of your earliest comment about how you deal with people, right? right. Understanding that we are all different as yeah. well and that... I certainly struggle with that and it's not a it's not it's an ever it's a life skill and by life skill i mean not one that you use for life but that lasts for life that yeah. kind of learning it in the sense of what something that i might want or something that i might desire something that i might see it's really hard and to conceptualize sometimes that that's just not the lens someone else sees yeah right and that's, that's right. a very very important skill your business career a lot of it has been in fintech if i'm not mistaken right a lot of it even before that in wealth management i'm curious with how your definition of the word wealth what your definition of that word is wealth yeah and how it's evolved throughout your career in life another great question so first of all i'd say it evolved fairly early for me i had a kind of a view of wealth and financial goals it's maybe a little bit different well, maybe a lot different than I think the way most people would think about wealth. So uh, I became convinced early on through a bunch of things, uh, a bunch of reasons that the pursuit of wealth itself um, would never be satisfying, it would never be enough. There'd always be somebody that had a nicer car or a bigger house or a bigger boat or a whatever. And if that's what you were pursuing, you'd never actually be totally satisfied. And I also, I guess related to that, I, I started to believe money can kind of be a bit of a, a twisting thing can, can mess with your perspective, you know, a perspective on what do you need versus what do you want and what do you owed, you know, what are you entitled to versus what you should be thankful for. And somebody that was a mentor of mine early on said something that's always impacted me. He said, the, the best way to make sure that money doesn't become too important to you is to give it away, is to share it. So if you do find yourself in a situation where you end up making a lot of money, make sure you give a decent portion of that away. Not all of it. You don't have to live like a pauper, but you should give enough away that you're making, you're making actually sacrifices. You're not living the sort of lifestyle at the very top end of what you could afford to do. So it was that simple statement, though. If you want to make sure money doesn't become too important, give it away. And my wife and I just 
made that a, a priority from our early days, but we didn't have a lot. We made that a priority and we've done that ever since. And we just do it quietly. We set a percentage every year of our gross income and we make a plan as much as we can. And this, there's now organizations we've supported for years. So that's kind of in the plan, but we consider what else do we want to do? And we leave part of it flexible. And, you know, we're thankful we live in a nice neighborhood and a nice house and um, we have a lot of nice things to enjoy, but there's a lot more we could do if we kept everything for ourselves, but we have never, ever, ever regretted for one second, the money that we've given away, the the wealth that we have shared with others. Um, so to me, that's kind of my definition of wealth is yes, work hard, do your job well, um, you know, whatever that is, whether it's founding and leading an organization or it's sweeping the streets, work at it with all your heart, do it well, whatever money you make, uh, be generous with it. And it'll, in the long run, even in the short run, we found be a lot more valuable and satisfying for you. So that's kind of wealth from my perspective. It's not what you make and keep. It's kind of what you make and, and share and be generous with. Yeah, that's incredible. Wow. It, um, and the ability, how important for it, for to you, was it to learn that early on, especially in that world of oh. the fintech or wealth management, the traditional wealth yeah. management, financial wealth management, if you will? Yeah. How important is that just in general, in a speculative way to, to know for the masses? Well, you know, like so many things that are worthwhile, they, they take a, a while, they take work. It's not like over time, uh, it's not like you get to, you figure something out right away. It takes practice. So the fact that I learned some of this when we were actually right around the time my wife and I got married and we sort of Incredible. made some decisions, put it into our way of doing things. A, it made it a little bit easier. You know, we weren't into other habits. So before we built habits that would make it hard, we built that into our lifestyle. But then you've got the time to practice it as well and, and get better at it and refine. Okay, I won't do that anymore. And I'm going to research this before I make a decision to, to support that organization or what have you. So yeah, the, the time just at that is, was helpful. And then getting started early was, was helpful. I have this saying, although I've met somebody recently who was kind of messing with the saying. So I've, <laughs> I've had this saying for a long time that this, there's a, a difference between training and trying. And, and I used to use the example of a marathon. You can't just decide you want to run a marathon and say, I'm going to go try and run a marathon. You have to train for it. All the amount of trying doesn't really help if you haven't trained to run a marathon. So things that we're doing in life, you have to spend some time and uh, back to kind of like the Malcolm Gladwell point, you spend 10,000 hours, whether it's 10,000 hours or 100 hours, you got to work at it to get good at it. And by the way, just to digress, I've met somebody recently, we just acquired a company and one of the three founders, wonderful woman and her husband, I'm looking forward to meeting him because she's told me all sorts of, of stories about her husband, including... He runs marathons, but he never trains. He just goes out and runs them. He decided he wanted to run a marathon. Is that, is that literally just marathons. a test of will and trying? It must be, yeah. yes. And so it's kind of messed with that saying of training versus trying and yeah. you can't run a marathon. So this fellow Jack can can run a marathon just by trying. And he qualified for the Boston Marathon. Like he actually does. Oh my okay. gosh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but he's not typical for sure. Most of us need to train and, and learn to do things well. Yet another example of a dance. There's maybe those outliers that can be that's, an absolution of one yep. degree or another, but that's right. wow, that, that's that's incredible. A couple of final questions, but you mentioned sort of the philanthropic side of things, giving away wealth, things like that, and just supporting others. It's been obviously an undertoning theme of 
this whole conversation, looking inward to be selfish, but in a way potentially so you can be selfless as well. Craig, how else, what, what are you working on? How else can we support you with what you're doing? Well, you know what? I, I made the decision, I guess it was seven months ago now. Well, I made the decision a little bit more of it. I joined another company seven months ago. So I was at a fintech company. Things were going well. I had no intention of leaving, I thought. And then I got this call from a recruiter out of the blue with the opportunity to join a, a software company that helps nonprofits with their fundraising. And I thought, gee, what a... What a neat thing to do. My brother is an executive director at, a, at a, a great charity. He's been there 10 years. And when he took over at that role, and he had been in, in pharmaceutical sales. So he was in business. He felt, he saw the need in this particular chair that are looking for a new executive director. He got excited about that and changed his lifestyle to go join this organization. And what he found was that they were in disarray financially and he worked really hard for a number of years to get their fundraising sort of engine going enough to start to support the great work that they were doing and, and now they're they're financially they're they're very stable so he's done a good job there but i watched how hard it was for for nonprofits to fund the good work that they do and there's so much good work that goes on that you don't hear in the news you hear all the bad stuff in the news but there are I actually learned by working at this company, there are 1.43 million nonprofits in the U.S. Who knew there were that many? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's grown from before the pandemic, about five years ago, there were about a million. So it's grown by about 40%. And these are all organizations, I mean, it's a whole variety, right? From arts and culture things to human services to education, but organizations that are doing good for other people that are requiring support from folks that, that can provide that support. Uh, and so now at this company, we have about 5,000 clients and they range from, you know, small charities to mid-sized charities. Like my brothers would be a kind of a mid-sized charity to like large organ organizations, um, the Smithsonian and Harvard and Yale and big, big organizations like that. And one thing that's, so of course they're very different, but one thing that's uh, is common with all of them is the challenge they have in, in raising money to to support the causes that they're pursuing. So I'm just delighted now to be able to be spending my working hours in building solutions to help them with their, with their fundraising. But yeah, the, probably the, the more than ever, what I'm saying to folks is, Hey, if you've, if you've never done it before, or if you, if you feel like you could, you know, free up a bit of your, your income, like consider supporting whether it's local or far away, like supporting, the, the need for humanitarian aid in Gaza right now or whatever it is, please find, you know, find a way to, to give some of your, your wealth. And by the way, speaking of wealth, I've forgotten the stats now, but you know, any of us in, in North America, if we've got, um, you know, a car or we can afford streaming services, it puts us in the top, like less than 1% of the, of the world's population in terms of wealth. We actually, we all have, almost all of us, not all, but almost all of us here in North America have so much. Um, so sharing some of that is more than ever more important to me. If we all shared a little bit, there'd be a lot to go around. So beautifully said. It's something that I remember reflecting on a little bit, um, trying to remember when it was, but uh, timing's not necessarily as important was that it was a, a lot of people find, and even in my experience with my career now with what I'm doing is that 
you can have the, all the financial wealth in the world, but if you don't have things like social connection or health mm-hmm. of your own or yeah. the ability to make it have an impact or have a purpose in life, you know, some would argue those are more important than all the gold and the money in the world. Yeah, right? and, absolutely. Um, giving everybody the ability to have the chance to, to pursue those things is, mm-hmm. is, is so important, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let alone the basics, basic necessities of life. And I remember hearing that it, you should consider yourself rich, obviously an opinion, but you should consider yourself rich if you can go to the restaurant and order yeah. whatever you want off the menu just yeah. once. Yeah, very beautifully said, Craig. Thank you um, for sharing that. And so two final questions, two theme questions. First one is called Wisdom Bites. Okay, so hypothetical question. I want you to uh, imagine for a moment all the wisdom that you've amassed in your life. Um, hard to conceptualize, of course, but hypothetically imagine it was just in front of you. Now imagine it was all gone. So all of the wisdom you've accumulated, just poof, gone. But from this point forward, the rest of your life, you only had two or three wisdom bites or pieces of wisdom you could live off of. What would your two or three wisdom bites be, Craig? Wow, that is quite a question. Let me see, what would I narrow it right down to? You know what, they're, they're kind of old-fashioned, tried-and-true things, but they would probably be the, the kind of cornerstones. So there's the... Um, you know, the, the saying that's been around for thousands of years called the golden rule, do to others as you'd have them do to you. So treat others like you'd like to be treated. And that's, you know, that sounds really altruistic, but I've actually learned over time that when you do that, people treat you better as well. Like it's just, there's a great synergy to doing that. So doing that, like caring about others, treating them the way you'd want to be treated would be one. And then I'll give you one other because they kind of jump up above the rest. And I kind of mentioned it briefly there a second ago. And that is whatever you do, like whatever you spend your time on, work at it kind of with all your heart. Like just do it well. I didn't start out work that way, by the way. You know, work was a means to an end. But once I sort of learned to do that, and I was probably three or four years into my career, the work was a lot more filling, fulfilling, but then I was having more of a positive impact. And that was fulfilling as well. Like I was learning, I felt like I was growing, but then I was seeing a positive impact and that becomes a really positive cycle. And I can honestly say from three years into my career, I have never had a job ever that I didn't like, that I didn't, I wasn't happy to get up in the morning and go to work. And so that's such a foreign concept to me. Sometimes when I hear about people struggling about with their work and oh, it's Monday morning or whatever. I'm like, oh, I just can't really identify with that. But it's actually because I decided early on to sort of work out whatever I was doing to the very best of my ability. So those would probably be the two. Very incredible answers. So final question is called the three hours, or it's a reflection-based question. So kind of in rapid succession, you can, if it's repetitive to what we said before, totally fine. I want you to think of hopefully the most impactful answers that you can think of for yourself be be as authentic as you can so the first r is what is one thing or concept you're reflecting on the most recently reflecting on the most um yeah probably i so i actually turned 60 a month ago and coming into this year i realized i was turning 60 and and I've never, never been upset about a birthday number, never, not upset this time either, but it, probably the most impactful one, like 60 sounds like a big number. But what that got me doing is reflecting on the 60 years and 
uh, and the result of that is kind of gratitude. And, and actually, by the way, I should add a third to my wisdom wisdom points because the other one would be to try and be thankful for stuff. Like don't don't take it for granted. Don't have yeah. a sense of entitlement, but but be thankful because boy, does that ever change your perspective? So I've I've had a, a real sense of gratitude this year for the way my sixty years have gone so far. That's where you're reflecting on the most. Second, are what are you not reflecting on enough that you feel like you could reflect on more? Probably I'd circle back to what I said earlier, which is, you know, when I get busy doing things, specifically work, especially work, I don't reflect enough on how people are doing, how they're feeling, whether they need a word of encouragement. I just sort of direct and I'm almost assuming subconsciously that everybody's along with me and excited about it. So yeah, reflecting on other people and just being more aware of them and what's kind of reading the signs of what's going on with them. Incredible. So third, collectively as a society, what is something that you think we could all reflect on more to have a more positive and driven impact in our world? Yeah, that's great. Um, we should all recognize that there's there's actually so little that we know. You know, there's so much more that we don't know than we do know. You know how the world works. I was reading something recently about back in the '50s, Carl Sagan. I had known that name. But Carl Sagan, who was a scientist, and I guess other scientists had concluded that there were two things needed for life, for like biological life. And therefore they did the calculations that there needs to be like, there must be like a million planets in the universe that have life forms on them. And, uh, and here we are 75 years later, roughly. And as science has learned more and more and more, I think that number has gone from two to 218. Like there's so many more things needed for life. And now the fact that life exists anywhere is like almost miraculous because the odds are crazy slim. But in 1950, we thought we knew what was needed for life. And that 218 will probably become a bigger number. And of course, same thing with the universe. The more we've learned and the better telescopes we've, we've built, we've learned, oh, there's a lot more to this than we knew. Right. And that's life in general. There's so much that we don't know. And, and where I'm going with this is none of us should be dogmatic in our views. We should be, we should hold them lightly and say, there's a lot I don't know. We can't get inside of each other's heads. Um, and the reason why that comes to mind is because it feels like the world is becoming so, so much more divided and entrenched in their views, which of course is dangerous and, and destructive and concerning. Um, we just all need to remember we shouldn't get so entrenched in our views. There's way more that we don't know. We don't know what's going on with that person, with that family, with that government. Let's just be open-minded about where they're at and let's be a little bit more gracious with each other. Oh, that's fantastic. Craig, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. My Thanks pleasure, Kevin. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for spending time with me on the Reflect On podcast today. If you found this episode enjoyable or inspiring, please share it with those who it may help and leave a positive review so that we can grow together. Until next time, reflect onward and keep moving forward.